0: org Hardcore, episode 27, come your way. Today we're going to be doing Guy Cisternino. We're going to talk about his life, his controversies, his steroid cycle. So it's going to be a really, really fun one, Mobster. And we're going to get into this one. Um, so Guy, first off, former IFBB Pro Bodybuilder. He had a two-decade history of competing. Some of the toughest competitions. He's only five foot five, and he might even be shorter than that mobster. He might even be like five foot four um, from the videos that I've seen. Um, obviously, I haven't, I haven't met him in person or anything, but it seems like he's even shorter than that. Yeah. 210 pounds, 215 pounds, somewhere around there. Found a nice niche competing in the 212 weight class. And he's able to do very well at that. So we're not talking about a open bodybuilder who blows up, you know, to 260, 280 pounds. We're talking about a guy who's short, shorter than me even, who basically has focused in on making weight to to be in the 212 and sticking to around there. So um, he really, really, really good bodybuilder, uh, really blessed genetics monster. Um, early life. Let's get into that a little bit. Born in 1982, New Jersey, Italian parents. Pushed by his boxer father to excel in athletics. His first passion was football. That's that's the American game, American football. Obviously, we're not talking about your game, your football, mobster, uh, which is soccer, what we call it. We're talking about American football. He had the same problem um, a lot of people do. His height. And although in in football, you do see some guys like, you know, Darren Sproles, Barry Sanders, who are on the shorter side, they usually play running back. Um, In his case, it was a disadvantage, but he did find a talent to bodybuilding. Um, And that actually was the one thing that he was able to do well, because in bodybuilding, height is not important, like some of these other sports. His dad bought him weights when he was in middle school and he began training at home. When he was in high school, he progressed to his high school gym where he found an even really, really gift for it and was able to really take it to the next level. And that was similar to um, what happened with me as well. Um, My high school gym, I was lucky enough to have a high school gym. Not every gym in America, uh, not every high school has a gym, so um, I was able to have that, and that really was awesome. And you'll never beat that crappy high school gym. You know, that was, those were the days, really. Um, and lifting with your buddies, and and it was really, really a fun time um, to do that. So he got really, really good at that. Didn't take long for him to compete in his first show, 20 years old. This show got canceled at the last minute. And rather than give up, he found another show, which was all the way in West Virginia. So he got in the car with a cousin, and he drove the nine hours there to do the show. He ended up winning the Nobles class and open class and finished second place overall. So that kind of uh, was the first step for him to get into competition. So, Master, chime in.
1: Yeah, I I read uh, some of the information, his bio information that he gives on his own website, Steve. And I'll tell you what interests me. Is, is the support that he had from his dad. I think there was an element of challenge as well. Uh, he talks about being in a garage with his dad, watching what his dad was doing, and then there was something there to the effect of they may do with what was available, and his dad kind of put stuff together for him. So there wasn't a proper bar or a proper bench or whatever to begin with. But it's, you know, you've got him... You've got him helping make the equipment, which to me is a great sign of a dad that's quite supportive. There's an element, I think, perhaps, Steve, of the Italian background in regards to maybe, and I'm going to talk about this later on as well, the, the kind of Italian vibe, the metro vibe, et cetera. But I love the fact that your dad kind of encouraged this interest that you saw in Guy and and, and helped with that. Something else which you touched upon in your comment just now is this school thing. I 100% did exactly the same thing. Training with two fellows at school, using the school benches that we put on on the side, or what you might call a bleacher-type bench, a gymnastic-type bench, and, and training with that 15 kilos aside, 33 pounds a side, and all that kind of stuff before I got some weights in the house and trained in the sports centre and then made my way to gym. So I love the fact that there's an element of that background in all three of us, and I can imagine that a lot of our listeners – you know, with the weights under the bed or training in the garage or training in, in, in the shed in the garden. I love that kind of background as well. And it's one of those things, I think, Steve, if you stick with it, it gets into your blood. So I like the fact that there's kind of that the familiarity and similarity from from Guy in that that's the kind of journey that many of our listeners would have taken to become where they are now, To on the journey that they've taken to get to where they are now, Steve. I love the fact, you know, school and the garage and everything else. That, that's such a cool vibe. And it's put every so many people on a journey in a particular way. Yeah, so I mean, for me, that's that's interesting. I love the parental influence. I think uh, I I've talked about this. My thing was I think my dad actually said something to the effect of because I'd have been only fifteen that he didn't think I would stick with it, and that I saw as a fifteen year old as a challenge, typical teenage bullshit, and 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 stuck with it purely and simply to prove him wrong. Obviously, now we're talking about four decades later, still doing my thing because it's in my blood now so i like that from guy uh, there's definitely a level of intensity that comes with him and we'll talk about more of that later on in the rest of the podcast they bet you
0: yeah And it's very important to support your local schools support you know your community um because look at the end of the day if it wasn't for that high school weight gym you know um that all that equipment in there was provided by somebody so, you you know, like if you want to help out, a lot of you are always talking about you talk the talk, but you don't walk the walk when it comes to this. And a lot of you, you don't support your schools. Um, give them the equipment. If you've got old equipment, donate it to the schools. Call the schools. Ask to speak to the weightlifting coach, you know, and offer some of your equipment. You're, you complain that kids these days, all they do is play video games. Kids these days, they don't exercise. All this stuff. Well, you know, chip in. Look, and it should be mandatory. Every person should have to take a physical education course in high school. Should be absolutely mandatory early in high school to teach people, to teach kids about nutrition, to teach kids about weight training, to teach kids about weight training and all this stuff. Guy had a father to get him into it. Many kids out there don't. Um, I think I read that over half of children in America are born to single mothers. So in that trend in, in Britain, I think is the same thing, mobster. I think it's probably less than that. But in America, it's a very, very high number. So they're not they're not going to have that father influence to push them to do these, like you said, quote unquote, manly things. But it's also for the females out there. They should also get into – I remember – In uh, my weightlifting class, we have females and they, you know, they got into weightlifting too. And and it's just not a male thing. It's a female thing too. And in athletics and learning how to run and all this stuff. So this is very important. And we see this a lot. How many people out there are like guy, but don't have that childhood where they have, like you said, these Italian parents who push them to get into sports and stuff like that. A lot of them don't and they never tap into that gift. So it's very important. And those skills, you know, of taking a, a PE class in high school will translate into adulthood because the things that I learned in that class, I was able to apply it now in, as adulthood. And now I'm teaching other people about nutrition. I'm teaching other people about weightlifting so you can pay it forward. So it's very important to get involved in your communities, get involved with your schools and You know, if you've got some extra equipment that you're not using that's, you know, gathering dust in your basement, donate it. You know, they could use that equipment and that that can really help those kids in your community. Go ahead, mobster. Yeah.
1: Yeah, two things. Uh, We don't, which is a great shame, I think, Steve, have the um, support in your local school through sports equipment via which you do in America. And that's one of the very few things. As often as not here in the UK and to a lesser degree Europe, we're influenced by Americanisms. That's through the movies, through the media and whatever else. One of the few things that's never transferred over, and I don't know why, is the, the idea, for example, if you've got a great American football team at your local high school, local businesses will make a point, especially if their son or even their daughter, whatever kind of sports involved at the local school, they will make a point of gathering funds together from other businesses, contributing themselves. And you have some gyms in high schools in the States, never mind colleges and everywhere else, that are out fucking standing. When we see photographs of some of the high school gyms, they are better as often as not Steve, than some of the commercial gyms that we have in this country. It blows our minds that you'd have 20 power racks and 15 or 20 barbell sets, that kind of thing. Absolutely. I mean, I'm telling you that I went back in the day for me, we had to drag those weights out from the storeroom. And and again, I I know old school stories. That was exactly that. Something else that you touched upon and it was three things. Then, so number two would be Arnold actually talked about this. And I know that one of his things, especially when he was involved with the presidential council uh, for sports, et cetera, and I might be getting that title wrong, was, Encouraging across the whole of America at his own expense, flying around the states and trying to get various states to have after-school programs to improve the health of kids. And one more thing, which you also touched upon, and I've mentioned it already, which is the influence and encouragement and support that guy's dad had. I I'm I'm kind of reminded, as you said that Steve, of two, two things. One is my daughter when I was heavily into competed when I lived in London before I moved to Gloucester and up here when I was probably at my absolute best in Gloucester, um, had my grippers downstairs on the end of the sofa in the, in the lounge. And my daughter would pick up the easy grippers and tried to show me, It should have been eight or nine, and trying to show dad that she was closing in the grippers. One of the more recent things, and I think I mentioned to you off air in a previous show, was that I got sent a photograph by my daughter, my youngest grandson. Uh, um, with a little pair of plastic dumbbells, and no doubt, when they've been here, they've seen granddad's gym. They know that granddad's competed in the past, that granddad's his size, etc., etc., etc. So the positive influence, without me necessarily saying, "Come on, come on, you should lift weights." I've never done that. I've never pressured them. Literally, the influence that you have on your kids in that particular regard, and we do struggle as much as you mentioned already, with the um, single shoot But more importantly than that, I think, in, in the context that we're doing here, with the um, obesity. So encouraging your kids into sport. You have a, a big culture in the US. We have a smaller culture, but a significant one, just the same, with kids doing certain sports. I can think of the local IPP Pro, who's five-year-old, San Jack does uh, martial arts and swimming, and... We have a big support here in South Wales, funny enough, for for children in um, cricket and to a much bigger degree here in South Wales for rugby. So, yes, super, super important. Let's talk about his uh, pro career and competitive stuff as well, Steve. And then I want you and I to talk about the car crash and, ironically, the fact that he's still a big fan of crazy cars even now. I've got some information on that. Competing in the mid-2000s, Steve, pushing to get his pro card Finally, in 2008, at the NPC Nationals, which is still a highly ranked competition, for listeners. If you place well at the Nationals, you're probably going to do well full stop. Taking first place and earning his pro card. He would then go on to compete in over 35 major shows until 2021, mostly in the 212 weight class, where we know that he did incredibly well. He's a very sort of dense and well-structured bodybuilder for his height and weight, Steve. Uh up to and then in, competing in 2011 in the Olympia 212 class, finishing 13th. In 2012, he got the seventh. I'm going to say very, very close to that. I'm looking at the numbers here in the stats. His best place in Steve 2015 was sixth at the Olympia. I don't think, and I'm just double checking, yep, I don't think he placed any better at the Olympia there, but he did do in 2017 a very good fourth place. Now, this is incredibly good, Steve. Of the arnold classic usa and again i'm thinking uh, that's in the 212 class quickly on that 212 and i'm still sure steve will back me up on this the height weight ratio as there is in a couple of other classes like classic physique you will find as often as not and again he's one of the even again as steve said earlier one of the shorter uh, 212 uh, competitors they can pack some serious muscle right up to the weight height allowance and again he would have been allowed to compete at 212 pounds at the height that as Steve says. I think Steve's correct on that as well. If it's a slightly less than five foot five, that puts him a little bit in the middle for the 212. But again, I'll give you an example again. The the, the local crow that I've mentioned before has never, ever competed on stage at over 200 pounds. Typically, I think his all time best on stage weight was 187, which means essentially Steve is giving away over 20 pounds. To anybody else that's pushing into the height weight class that's allowable for the 212 i think a guy he would have been as pushing a lot of uh, muscle into a smallish frame so that's going to make him look like an absolute freak in in the rest of the class there and it's extremely competitive because a lot of guys are the same height very very similar body weight so that makes it much more evenly uh, level competitively speaking with not a huge amount of deviation in the body weight that you will see in the open class where you can have somebody who's 180 pounds going up a 300 pounds monster. So you, you do get that. It's very, very competitive. And it's one of those classes that seems to be gathering more and more interest. Back to you for the next bit.
0: Yeah. So, um, he decided to retire called it quits in 2021 after the Texas pro and, um, you know, we've seen this with guys who've been retiring lately and they've used the whole guys have been dying around me. He used the Dallas McCarver, Luke Sandow, John Meadows. They have passed away. It's time for me to, to retire. So a lot of them have been saying that. I'm not sure if that's just like, you know, that's one of the things, but I have it hard to believe that that's like the number one reason they're retiring because they're scared because other bodybuilders are dropping dead. I think it's just one of those things where it's one of the issues that's causing them to to, uh, drop dead. But I think it also because bodybuilding is a grind and he actually has admitted in some of the podcasts that I've watched about him when I was uh, researching, um, that look, I didn't, that he basically did not make enough money as a bodybuilder to support, um, support himself and live the type of lifestyle he wanted. So I think a big part of that now is you make a big name for yourself in bodybuilding, you build build a big social media following, you get a lot of rep, repping jobs, and then you retire, then you can make way more money and actually make a living just going and doing interviews, doing podcasts, repping your brands, repping companies and that sort of thing and that's that's what a lot of these guys are doing now but you've gotta basically make a career for yourself first and really really get popular among a lot of people and get a lot of fans first that's i think that's very very important go ahead master. what do you think
1: i'm gonna kind of agree in principle i was gonna say a couple of things number one There's a great argument to be made, Steve, for, and we've talked about this, when you and I talk about sensible doses, I literally saw someone on the forum today saying, for me, my journey right now isn't about health. And I'm thinking, motherfucker, you can say that today. And then, you know, 10 years down the road, trend up to your eyeballs, cruising and blasting, and God knows what else, you might change your mind. And you and I have touched on this multiple times. The individual in question is actually older, not younger. We see this a lot in the younger individuals. And Dallas McCarver is, of course, towards the younger end. So there might be a touch of proof in the idea that people are falling down dead around you, people that you like, people that encourage you in the sport, and they're dead. And, you know, I, I, I've had people die. We say it's a shock, especially during the day. I kind of recover quite quickly, not for necessarily PD use, just other reasons. And and that's my kind of personality. to go, wow, you know, be shocked and appalled, whatever, day one and day two. Kind of already moving on to something else. Equally, and this is, I think, a, a great point, and you and I can kind of almost you, hold ourselves up. I think as examples of this, you don't have to be a contest-winning bodybuilder to make money in the sport. There are some amazing PTs out there that are on six-figure plus uh, uh, in- income. There are, as we've talked about, influencers on Instagram that never compete have amazing looking physiques. we've so said a lot of them are using peds and we've discussed that but they're also on six-figure incomes one that you and i did a couple of years ago i think he declared to the tax tax man and you you could find the public document online and we talked about it it was on seven hundred thousand dollars a year steve and that was obviously with other people helping him with you know the the diets and the planning and all the rest of this stuff. But $700,000 for a person that never competed, essentially just looks amazing on Instagram and made all of that money from putting together diet plans, meal plans, training plans, and so on and so forth. A lot of it was being written by other people, but three quarters of a million dollars. So yeah, 100%. I think there's an argument also to be made with this regard as well. In order for you to be crazy competitive, I was going to say stupidly competitive, but crazily competitive, your focus has to be on your day-to-day groin, and it's not necessarily on making great income. As often as not, Steve, you need a good team around you to help you in that particular regard. Some people have got it, some people have not. I think Guy has probably taken the energy that he put into being on stage into the business, and as we've seen, he's certainly got some degree of success there with his media, with the the website, with the uh, products that he sells, and so on and so forth. Certainly, I would guess as we're guessing here, Steve, better than when he was on stage. Arnold's used this analogy as well. If you can take the energy that you use in becoming a competitive bodybuilder and apply that su- that level of success and the way that you became successful into your business, you can do very, very well. I've proved it, I think, sometimes with jobs that I've had over the last few years, being a competitive motherfucker, wanting to do well at work, et cetera, et cetera. And that's come from probably being competitive in actual physical weightlifting competitions and so on so i suspect there's a, a little bit of uh what the, the 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 nerves around people passing the way around you uh, meadows john meadows was a fantastic mentor to a great many people and also realizing that if i can apply this energy to my business i'm going to do just as well if not better not competing in competitions but in business instead and of course becoming influential in that particular way so yeah back with you
0: yeah, so let's get into uh, the next segment here, and it's nutrition. Before we get into his uh, close calls with death, we're also getting into some controversy because, guy, he's uh, you know he's a uh, he, he's a loudmouth, you know, so he's gonna get himself into trouble sometimes too. Um, so let's first touch on uh, one of the more popular videos, and we see this uh, pro bodybuilders and, and and fitness influencers. One of the top videos is always them going food shopping, so. Guy decides to um, go food shopping in his uh, home, New Jersey, during COVID. And this was the time where uh, competitions were all uh, halted. And in the video, of some of the things he was buying, apples, grapes, cauliflower, yogurt, eggs, tomato paste for sauce. But he does admit it does bother his stomach. So hello, stop stop taking it. Um, tomato sauce is one of those things where... Um, it's very inflammatory, very acidy in the stomach. So I don't recommend people ever mess around with tomato sauce. I don't care if you're Italian that that's bullshit. People in Italy don't go around, um, you know, eating uh, tomato sauce all day. Okay. That's just a treat, you know, have it a couple times a year, but if you're going to uh, take tomato sauce daily, it's just not going to work for our, for our gut. Um, he was also eating pasta, of course, another Italian thing cereal, candy, ranch, cheddar, uh, peanut butter, and some hard liquor. I think the hard liquor was, um, just something that he bought to just share with friends and stuff. I don't think it was just him drinking it. Um, he also says he has a garden at home where he grows squash, tomatoes, and other vegetables. So he, he, uh, was very proud of that as well. I like that. I, um, you know, look, I mean, I'll, I'll grow, um, during the season, I'll grow, uh, as much things I can possibly can. I love it. It's fresh. There's nothing better than like a fresh vegetable or fresh fruit coming right out of the garden. Um, While in competition, he was sticking to a generic six meal a day program, chicken, rice, beans, almonds, steak, salad, and asparagus, pretty much the proteins and the vegetables and, and all the stuff that you, you guys um, know that these guys are uh, consuming. Um, pretty, pretty, um, pretty standard. Nothing really special about his diet from what I could tell that was any different than anyone else. It worked for him. He has a genetics, you know, he has the motivation to do it. He's got the, you know, his dad in the back of his head telling him to grind out that last weight and stuff. So, you know, it's, uh, it's pretty simple when you have those types of genetics, you can lift weights and you can eat a standard diet and good things will happen. So that's that's what he was able to to tap into for sure. So the next segment, Mobster, if you want to get into the car accident a little bit that he had in 2011 where he, he came really close to dying. He was actually very close to dying according to his account.
1: Yeah, I'll I'll read it from the show notes and then me and Steve are going to comment on this. And funny enough, I'm going to add something to that as well, Steve. So driving when a huge bucket truck made an illegal U-turn Cut him off, causing him to smash into it. He was travelling in Long Island, New York, on Route 80 to do some sponsor gigs. They told him if he didn't bodybuild and had the amount of muscle that he had on his body, he probably would have died. His injuries included a broken thumb, broken ribs, herniated and bolted disc in his back, jaw and neck injuries, and a torn knee, and had to have surgery on all these injuries. In 2020, he nearly died again, because that was 2011. And in fact, there's uh, photographs you can look up for the, uh, I've seen him myself, Steve, of the car after it was crashed. 20, 20, he almost died again. This time did a video from the hospital talking about how complications of COVID-19 had caused him to end up with a blood clot in his leg, which is one of the side effects of the virus. And again, there's references that on his uh, Instagram profile. The doctor said if he hadn't gone to ER, he would have probably died if that clot had dislodged. So once again, he had dodged death. I will talk about that as well. So there's a couple of things here. And I'll tell you what, can't I'm guessing, and Guy's more than welcome to come in and kick my ass verbally if he wishes to. I can't, can't see him jumping on a plane and coming over to do it, but we'll get into that as well. So I think there's an element of the personality stuff here, Steve. I mean, he's not to so blame for driving down a freeway and someone does fucking something stupid and nearly kills him. Equally, he owns something called a a Jeep Cherokee hawk, Stephen, it's 700 brake horsepower. So I, I suspect there might be, and I'm just guessing here, I might be, you know, I'm spitballing, there might be an element of that kind of risk personality type. And I'm just thinking of a buddy of mine who could have died twice, ironically, the same as Guy, and still does stupid shit with cars. Buying a 700 brake horsepower car, I don't see, I've seen a video when he did this, I don't see him driving like an idiot necessarily, but at the same time, you're in a 700 brake horsepower car. Now, I've seen this car in a video, and it sounds fucking amazing. It really is a throaty monster. And it's one of those ones, guys, where you can flick the switch on and off in the car to get an even more nasty noise than what it makes otherwise, you know, appearing like a tiger, Steve. But it's 700 brake horsepower. The temptation might be, on occasion, Steve, to put your foot down and and you know, let the car be unleashed. So, I, I why the truck going across the front of the car, nearly killing him, is is not really his fault. Was there an element of giving giving your car the beans, putting your foot down, and maybe not allowing yourself sufficient time to avoid the crash and stuff like that? So, you know, I'm I'm mean, again, I'm spitballing, I'm guessing here. I'm just thinking of that kind of personality type in terms of the car crash and whatever else. And again. You've had a car crash, Steve. You nearly died twice, COVID, and the car crash. And then you go out and buy a car that can do 150, 160 miles an hour. Uh, you know, it, maybe it's one of those younger things. Maybe it's the macho personality. And I made a, I made a note of that at the earlier part of the podcast. Now, uh, I'll talk now, and I'll, Steve and I will have a bit of back and forth on this, on the controversy. So some years ago, he's in a gym. I think he was doing hack squats, Steve. And he's filming. And I believe there was a couple of buddies that were spotting him, encouraging him. It's kind of like two or three people working together and guys on the machine. They've got the camera set up. Maybe I think it's on a tripod, not on, on, not with someone holding it, which is the normal thing now with influencers and two young guys come into the gym. It wasn't crazy busy. You don't hear a lot of background stuff and whatever else. And they kind of stood nearby enough that the camera was picking them up and guy kind of kicked off. I'm going to read what was said, and then Steve and I are going to have a little bit of a chat about this. So he becomes angry at the two young men he felt were being loud and annoying nearby, knowing full well that the camera might pick them up to see and also the noise that they're making. So, guys, 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 you've got to cut that shit out, not in front of me. One of the young men responds, it's a public gym, bro. Guy, do it on the side, not in front of me. And as we know... Steve, he kind of leaps off the machine and stops the set and says, don't play games, I will go outside, meaning he will have a fight. He literally, will get into a punch-up over it. Charges the kids saying, do it to the side, that's all I'm asking you. So that I saw this video back in the day when it happened, Steve. And and the back and forth that people had, you know, is it okay for him to do what he's doing and whatever else? Now, something Steve and I talked about the other, other day after a show, when we discuss in today's show, I I, I follow, not all the time, but I've seen multiple videos put out by Joey Swal. Now, there's a possibility for some individuals to make a living and become influential through training stuff that they do in the gym. But what's also happening is an awful lot of people have zero chance of that. The percentage of people that are going to make a living recording what they do in the gym is tiny. We We can name half a dozen. Larry Wills is a good example. Most people are not. And what we have also seen is a kind of kickback against this, insofar as Joey Swole puts it quite properly. If your pains are go to a gym and someone's getting annoyed of you because you've gone in front of the camera for them recording a set of fucking leg extensions when they've got no outstanding body parts, they they they're not really that important. They've got a few hundred followers on Instagram or something stupid like that. And and then there's a lot of back and forth. Should these gyms be allowed? Should they be allowed to train in a gym? Should they setting up tripods, complaining when people walked in front of their camera because they've got a right to be there and all this kind of stuff. So what do you think of this, Steve? We have a bit of back and forth on this for a moment.
0: Yeah, so first of all, you know, you're right. Um, a lot of people do this stuff for clickbait. I don't think in this particular case either of them were doing it. The way I look at it, look, in the, in, in the videos right there in black and white, And Guy wanted to say that they were in his face. They were bothering him on purpose and all this stuff. But if you actually look at the video, they're far away. Like it's a gym. It's a, it's a, it's a gym. It's crowded. He wants to do a video in the gym. If you didn't want people who were there to be fascinated by you and want to watch you work out as a professional bodybuilder, as a freak, then you should have called the owner and had the owner set up something either before the gym open or after the gym open on the weekends a lot of gyms they open like at 7am so you can get there at six o'clock and you'll have an hour to film whatever you want with nobody in your face but it doesn't look as good okay these videos these training videos with just you and a guy spotting you and then a camera crew which isn't visible on camera and then nobody else in the gym it doesn't look as intense it looks better when there's people walking around and people in the background working out and stuff, in my opinion. So in this particular situation, what he could have done, um, I, I don't think the kids did anything wrong at all. I mean, look, if you're in that situation and you're watching Arnold work out, you know, or if I'm going to the football game or basketball game or something and I'm in the front row and I'm taking pictures of the players doing their thing and I'm shouting at the players and stuff, is that distracting the players? I mean, look, it's their job. I mean, it's it's he should be proud that guys want to take pictures of him and guys want to take videos of him like that because they look up to him. You know, he's a bodybuilder and it's something special for them. So um, for him to like get up like that and like charge them like that, you can't do that stuff. And it and I was surprised that it happened in Texas because Texas is one of those states mobster, and there's a handful of states like that out there where if you charge someone like that they have a right to pull out a weapon and hurt you and they and they would be completely legal in doing so if they felt threatened now if a prosecutor decided to take it to court you know your defense would have to just prove to the to the jury that yeah i felt threatened and if you look at the video these guys are just normal skinny guys and Guy is this huge bodybuilder and who's huge muscular bodybuilder with a temper and all the all the defense would have to do was show that video and be like, look, jury, look at this big guy attacking these little kids. I mean, wouldn't you be scared? Wouldn't you feel threatened? So um, I could think of a story that happened um and the trial actually just finished and the guy was found not guilty. Well, a guy was driving and a motorcyclist, big tough motorcyclist, the same thing as Gee, tough guy, you know. He they They did something. Someone cut someone off, and the motorcycle guy got upset about it. He started to chase after the guy in the SUV. Then finally, the SUV stopped at a light, and the motorcycle guy got out of the car and went up to the guy in the car in threatening manner and started cursing at him and and threatening him and stuff. So the guy in the car, you know, he pulled down his window and he shot the guy, and the guy fell to the ground. well, the the case <clears throat> went to trial. And the jury basically was presented the, they had a video from a camera at one of the businesses along the street. So they had that and it showed the motorcycle guy get off the motorcycle and go up to the guy. Number two, the motorcycle guy had a history of violence. He had several domestic violent, violence, violence um, uh, in previously. So. Based on that, it took the jury like literally two minutes to to do not guilty. So the guy, the motorcycle guy ended up becoming paralyzed and he's got to be in a wheelchair the rest of his life just because of his temper and because he couldn't just freaking, if someone did something to you in traffic, call the police and report it. You don't have to go and charge them. So in this situation, guy, all he had to do if these kids were bothering him was tell someone in his camera crew, hey, or tell the manager at the gym, hey. Can you talk to these kids and tell them to take a couple steps back? I don't mind them filming me, take a couple steps back. That would have solved the problem. He didn't have to get up like a maniac and charge them. And then, guy in, in his interviews, he said, Look, can you find any other video where I'm like that? And I've actually seen some of his other videos. And if you just saw this video, you think this guy was some jackass with a temper. Typical, hot-headed, Italian, all these stereotypes, right? But if you see his other videos, he actually comes off as a cool guy. So for me, that's that was my impression. The more I saw his videos, the more I thought, well, wow, this guy's a cool guy. So, I mean, I think it was just a lapse of du- judgment. And I think that that he has to just, you know, I think he could have handled it a lot better. And I think it's a learning experience. But the thing that did bother me, Moss, before he let you back in was afterwards, because he continued to like dig his own hole instead of apologizing and admitting, yeah, I could have handled it better. He's, he kept trying to say all oh, these kids have been in trouble before the gym owner took my side. Well, guy, of course, the gym owner is going to take your side. You're a pro bodybuilder and these are a couple kids. Of course he's going to take your side because you have, a vast amount of fans and followers and stuff. So the gym owner wants more business and he wants the publicity. So of course he's going to take your side. So that doesn't mean shit. Just because the gym owner is a bitch and a coward and doesn't have the balls to come out and 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 do his, you know, people in the gym that are paying a monthly membership do them right. That doesn't make you right. So we all see that in gyms. The way gyms are set up, the structure is you see people treated differently in the gym. And that's not right. If I'm paying a gym membership, I've got a right to be in the fucking gym and I got a right to pull out a phone and film you. If a camera crew is standing right there and filming you, I got a right to pull out my phone and film you too. You know, I'm the fucking paying customer here. You're working out for free in the gym and you're taking up space. So, you know, you've got to have some humility on this guy. Like you can't, you can't, you know, attack people. And again, he kept saying these kids, these kids, these kids. Shockingly, if you look at when Guy was born, he's a millennial. I mean, Mobster is a boomer. I'm a generation X and Guy is the generation under me. He's a, he's a millennial. So for him to say, oh, these kids, these kids these days, they've got no respect and stuff. Gee, you yourself, you're a millennial. OK, they're probably your generation as well. Millennials end in the mid 90s. If the kid was born in 95, he's also a millennial. So you can't, you know, like act like, you know, these kids were like, are any different than you. I mean, you too are a kid and you too have immaturity issues. So you can't just hammer other people like that. This doesn't make any sense. Like I was shocked when I saw how old he was because he does look older. He has a beard and whatever. But I mean, I thought he was in the 50s. But at the time when this happened, he was in his late 30s. So, I mean, he's young himself. He's younger than me. He's young, way younger than Mobster. So I think he could have handled it better. But the after, I think, you know, if you would have just came out afterwards and apologized and said, yeah, guys, I fucked up. Never act like that in the gym. Never, never let your anger get the best of you, et cetera, et cetera. I think that would have basically been better. But he's still to this day, if you look at comments online, 90% of comments <clears throat> are bashing him. I actually, I've, I haven't seen a single comment in the videos. I didn't spend like all day looking through them, but I didn't see a single comment that actually said that, yeah, guy was right in that particular situation. So you just can't go around in the gym acting like that, you know, and that's just, not, he's the one who's disrespectful, not, not the kids. mobster. how'd yeah, you take the, it? Yeah.
1: There's, there's, I thought just as you were talking there, Steve, I just remembered something else. And this is what's probably going to add to the fire. Now, funny enough, I've actually been in the position, I've mentioned it on previous podcasts, of being able to train at my local gym for free. And the reason for that was that I was giving back as much as I was I was being given, so to speak. So, for example, we had a, a, a set up an event, the Aberdeer Motorcycle Races, and uh, he paid, the gym owner paid some money, about $1,000, to have a, a, a gazebo, and a bunch of gym equipment there for the weekend. And I think on two, possibly three occasions, I can't remember, I would go down and I would support them for the weekend. I was literally down there for six, eight hours, both days on uh, three years on the try, I think. Put on a little strength display, talking to people that come over, persuading them to sign up for memberships and so on. And equally, uh, wearing gym clothing for competitions and making sure that, you know, if I went to a competition, I'd make sure that I'd be wearing either the event clothing or the gym clothing and saying how great the support of the gym was in helping me to succeed. I'm up on the wall. I'm up on the wall of the local gym with various other athletes and gym members that have competed and done well for themselves. I'm pulling, a, a, I think, at the time of world record in a photograph, Steve. Uh, I think, actually, I think it was a, trying to break the record that i just broke a moments before in photographs. So just to give you an example, equally, I have only once in that particular gym, funny enough, the gym owner wasn't there, nearly got into a fight with another very big uh, gym member. And funny enough, me and the gym member was super cool, really, and nearly did some business together afterwards, but we had to get through the bullshit first. So there's a little bit there. I'm reminded of something else that Guy did afterwards, funny enough. And it was the back and forth, like you said, where he said, find another video where I'm being an asshole, find another video when I'm being super aggressive. And then he mentioned something else, perhaps not at the time, it might have been shortly after. And the gist of which was, and I believe it was one of those people that had passed away, and someone was being super, super disrespectful for someone who'd been a friend of his. And he actually said, listen, if you think you can say that stuff online, you need to be able to say, to- I think it was Sean Ray. Sean Ray, and he said to Sean Ray, I will come and see you at the next expo. I think it was the Arnold. He says, I will come and see you. You need to be able to say that shit to my face. What he was getting at there, ironically, Steve, because he was actually dealing with the other situation in person although I agree with you, that could have been done a lot better, you're training the gym owner's probably given you free membership someone's nearby, you don't own the gym, it's not It's not on you to, you know for, for you to think you're you're especially privileged and people can't stand their boy and they can't talk, that's wrong but equally what he said about Sean was kind of true, Sean had a habit of saying things that could at the time be controversial, might have even been what was on people's minds but was let's just say lacking in sensitivity and saying this thousands of miles away from the people that were concerned, not saying it to their face, not interviewing them and saying it, not challenging them in person over something that perhaps they've done said. And and Guy said, this person that you're, you're attacking, Sean, my friend. And I think you're bang, as we would say in this country, Steve, bang out of order. I will come to where you are working, understand that you're working on, and I dare you to say it to my face. You won't because you're, you know, chicken shit, whatever. So I understand that. That's has been super, super supportive of a friend. But again, you can take it both ways. That's just saying, you know, you shouldn't be allowed to get away with saying shit and without being challenged. Uh, and I'm supporting my friend. But equally, you're putting out a challenge on the internet. You're putting out the challenge, not in person. Now, I do believe, and it's happened a couple of times with Sean, where people like Guy have turned up and said, you know, Say it now, I'm here in front of you and you know it's shit. you know it's bullshit. say it again on camera. people are looking. Sean hasn't done that. so you know it's one of those situations where you know you're on the internet, people can say whatever the fuck they like, Steve uh, and then no one challenges them or people get upset if you call them an arsehole or whatever else. So there's a bit of ying there's a little bit of yang. I, I like the fact that he's intense because that actually makes him exciting and interesting to watch, but equally, you know, tread carefully, think professionally, uh, engage the brain before you engage the brawn, and think about the image that you're projecting. Again, for me, for example, if I weigh, as I do, Steve, over 300 pounds, and I'm talking to another 300-pound member, as he was, both of us were close to 140, 150 kilograms. That's 308 330 pounds. And we are seen perhaps as influential somewhere in the gym, and here we are being assholes to each other, that's not a good gym vibe, and it's something that you need to be very, very careful with, and especially so if you represent the sport, you are professional. You know, we're not cavemen anymore. We don't have to do that stuff. And like Steve says, there's laws in America that allowed you to pull out a gun. Laws in this country, uh, the gym owner actually came down afterwards because one of the other members had rung him, and we had to explain it. It all calmed down, and we sorted their the differences there. But it's not a good vibe. I want to go to the gym and chill and be influential and be positive and whatever else. What I don't want to do is go to the gym and argue and shout. And I certainly don't want to be screaming at other members to get the fuck out of the way when I'm filming. That's just going. That's just not a good place to be. Whatever on that particular regards. So yeah, yeah. on that Steve, yeah. we'll talk about uh, nutrition and as you say the. Uh, well, let's talk about his social down.
0: media, and that ties into one of the yeah. social media posts on his Instagram, which has three hundred fifty thousand followers. Posts a lot of videos about training pictures of the health posing also a lot of tough guy he makes a little tough guy comments he likes to take shots at other people um he likes to take shots at groups of people i noticed and um one of his videos as well which ties into what you were just saying mobster was he says that he doesn't care about anyone else's opinions this is actually the number one viewed post on there um And it says, including his friends and his family, and that he's proud to be selfish and only cares about himself and his happiness. So I think a lot of that mobster might be um, macho, like you said at the beginning, machoism, but I think it's a lot of it is an act. And um, again, it's this macho man, I'm tough guy. I think it's an act to get clicks. I think it's an act to to show the bad boy image yeah
1: play it and, to the camera
0: yeah and it works for him and we see a lot of this among bodybuilders who are like this and threatening to beat someone up because they're making a comment Was he going to threaten to beat us up for doing this podcast next i mean look it's stupid it's silly um <laughs> like I, i'm sure i can go back monster and you're the same way i can i'm sure someone has posted something on social media or on the forums or something. They wanted to kick my ass in person. I think they've done that a few times. I I, I, I always tell them, but I always tell them, I was like, look, if you want to kick my ass, I think someone on the forum once did that. I think if if you want to kick my ass, you got to go through mobster and you got to go through body monster (laughs) for them. Before you get to me, I think combined you guys are like five hundred and fifty pounds and you guys ah, can man, fucking yeah. bench press I, I actually a I have threatened truck. to go through both of them one. before you get to yeah. me. That's what I just tell them. But yeah, you you could look at the end of the day at the end of the day. Listen, uh those of you who know me, you know, um I don't toys, want to you're going, here. man. I'm easy well, going most
1: of the yeah. time, Steve. We're, we we're chill kind of guys. I'll tell you a quick story, and then we'll talk about his PEDs and what we think he uses, uh, listeners. So I, I think it was a buddy of mine winding me up, Steve. He created a troll account, and this was on a little forum that we created for the supplement company that I owned back in the day. And one of my buddies got on there, I'm sure it wasn't some random member that just, you know, you've got bots and stuff like that now and things come online like this all the time. But I'm pretty sure it was a buddy of mine saying to the other buddies, let's see if we can yank his trailer. Let's see how he reacts. And I went, I flipped the fuck out, Steve. I threatened to jump on a plane, come over there, and I believe I said something stupid like, tear your head off and shit down your fucking neck, you asshole." So I completely lost it. Big time whereas i think the reality of the situation for most of us and i think this applies to steve is that we go to the gym ironically especially when we're younger to you know build ourselves up so that people can't give us shit and whatever and ironically you end up the size of a fucking house muscles abs and veins and stuff like that and you become super relaxed and chilled i see this in fighters and i see this in in, in the proper lifters because if a you put a great deal of hard work into it so you don't want to damage the goods and b that aggression, that kind of macho bullshit, or whatever else, ironically dissipates because you're working so goddamn hard in the gym and people respond to you differently. I, I've been at many nightclubs and pubs back in the day, Steve, half the size I am now and i would be called the big guy, the big man, by random, young younger fellas that sort of, you know, I'm six 6'3", so they're, they're looking up, they see me with a little bit of muscle and they're responding, you know, to keep me on side or whatever. There's an element of that. But, again, I think he plays it up to camera. And, ironically, I actually like the way it is. I like his intensity because it's, it applies to the gym. I think it applies to his business. And the way that he gets on with other professional bodybuilders is there's a vibe that goes back and forth, and they play off it with each other. So I actually like it. In the gym, in the situations that we're talking about, it would not have been appropriate. And we know that. And that's what pretty much everybody else agrees. And yet, ironically, online, in the media stuff, the way that he comes across is intense. And it kind of, you know, and I really mean this. So there's a sort of passion to it, which is how it should be—not too mediocre, not kind of boring or whatever. So you know, it, it, it works for him on social media. It didn't work for him in that particular situation. And if he's playing up to the camera, fine. If 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 he if he, if he actually ends up getting into a fight or whatever else, and it's close to getting to that age now when you should not be fighting. If you're 39, 40 years old, you shouldn't be trying to kick people's asses or whatever. That's just stupid. So, yeah, on that, let's move on and talk about his what we think his steroid use is. And ironically, I'm going to say one, one of the ones, which is the second choice we got, is they might have been responsible for that sort of heated response. But the first one, which is a not crazy high amount, funny enough, Steve, 750 milligrams test proper week. Prop, prop can sting, but a prop would have been used as a shorter acting ester in a competitive Situation like Guy was doing back in the day. The second one, and this is uh, the one I'm actually getting at, that can turn some people a little bit volatile for its inflammatory and irritability uh, response. Here, Steve, would be a quite high, in my opinion, 1,500 milligrams a week of trembolone ACE. But yeah, uh, for some people, you become godlike on trend and, and that's the way that they talk. And how you respond and the can in the inflammatory, just not getting to sleep, sweating all the time, Etc. Etc. and yet going crazy in the gym. Steve's talked about this multiple times. That might be the one <laughs> that turns a nice person into a little bit of an arsehole. I think you've talked about it, Steve, when you say it's the relationship breaker. I'll throw in one more, and then let Steve dive on in. Uh, 1,250 milligrams Masteron Enanthate per week. Why Masteron? Well, again, competing bodybuilder, super hard, super muscular, maxing out the hype weight ratio that i touched on earlier on and a a great aesthetic drug why so high again competing at the highest level in the top 100 certainly the top 50 bodybuilders in the world in terms of the 212 class steve so yeah what do you think about the trend being maybe responsible for some of that attitude some people on trend
0: yeah some people on trend get really aggressive ironically with me trend may be like complete opposite it calmed me down So it just depends on how you react to androgens. And it depends where you are in terms of your maturity and stuff. I can remember um, the steroid cycle that really made me aggressive um, was actually DECA, testosterone, and Dianabol. And I got really aggressive on that cycle, but um, that made me aggressive. But trend, for some reason, it just calms me down. But I think it may have something to do with when I'm on trend – uh, I just don't have the energy, you know, so my energy is much more down and I'm always concerned with doing three things on trend, working out, eating, and the third one, I, obviously you guys can all guess. So I think I just, I got no energy left, you know um, when it comes to trend, but some people, yeah, for sure. Um, I've, so many people have run trend, and ended up in jail. So yeah. it doesn't surprise me that he could, could have been on trend when he did that video and really really was angry and i think maybe he was just having a bad day maybe he didn't get enough carbs that day or something so he just got really really angry so um and the reason test probe and trend ace as well mobster i'll let you in a second but the reason for those two you want those to be flexible because test probe you're going to stop using it and have a competition right before you're going to cut off of it and it'll be out of your system about a week week and a half trend same thing You might want to lower the dose down a little bit. So you want it to kind of come down quickly. You don't want to use the longer ester trend where it's going to be in your system longer. But when the Mastron, Mastron, since it's a really good hardener, you don't mind using the long ester Mastron because it's not going to hurt you going into competition. So I've noticed that trend, you look so much better on trend the week or two after you stop it. So because of the inflammation comes down and everything, that's when you really peak in the mirror on trend. And then when it comes to testosterone, of course, you definitely don't want it in your system on competition day. Uh, jump in there, mobster. Do you want to say something?
1: Yeah, I just thought one drug, one that's made me kind of aggressive. Uh, I'm a bit like Steve. And, and, and in fact, I've had this conversation and I mentioned this in podcasts before where a girlfriend said something to the effect of that she thought as being aggressive, and are you on a stack? Are you on cycle? And I said, no. I'm actually probably more likely to be the other way around, more chilled, because I'm killing it much harder in the gym. I'm going to be more tired. Uh, perhaps the – I was actually going to joke with Steve, if I guess what the other thing that he was talking about, do I win a prize? But I think there's an element of that as well. So you're, you're far more likely to be uh, relaxed and tired from the gym. It's, the adding muscle can tie you out. Training really hard and eating size you but the one drug, one Steve, and I've I've used this maybe three four times on the day of a competition, and I mean the day of a competition as trek drops, and I've said this on a previous show, and I think I said something to the effect of, there may exist somewhere, uh, on on a, one of those fifteen minute video cassettes or perhaps on an early uh, camera phone, uh, back in I'm going to say the mid two thousands, two thousand and seven, two thousand and eight. I was on check drops for the days, about an eight-hour half-life, Steve. It increases aggression. That's the reason why power and strength athletes like myself use it. And I think I just won an event, and I was pretty damn sure that I was going to win the overall thing. I was very, very confident. And I think I run up and down like some fucking idiot, sharing a great many F-bombs, and I mean quite a few for a minute or two, Uh, saying, that's it, that's it, no fucker can beat me or worse to that effect. And I think the check drops was, it wasn't just me, you know, super confident. I think it was definitely a full-on aggressive, I dare anybody to challenge me kind of vibe that only lasted, fake price a couple of minutes. And I think even then it kind of filtered into my brain that I was being a bit of a dick. So, yeah, that's the one drug I think that I've taken to date that's made me act crazy stupid. I'm about to do, as you know, a cutting cycle later in the year September onwards, hopefully, for four, four to six, seven weeks, um, which has a tiny bit of trend here. So we'll see how I respond to that. Yeah, but for me, one only. I'll talk on another couple here, Steve. And again, these numbers seem quite high, but again, you've got to remember Guy was a competing bodybuilder, competing at a very, very high level, top 100 in the world for sure, and again, especially competitive in the 212 class. 1,250 milligrams of EQ or equipoise per week. And again, We're talking about competition shape. Steve's correct about the short-acting esters on the previous drugs and the Masteron. 150 milligrams of Winstroll a day. Now, that's not super, super excessive, but it is up there for a daily amount, and especially so when you think about the combination of the other drugs. Now, we're doing best guess here, guys, but I don't think we're too far off the mark in this particular regard. And I'll throw in one more, Steve. 80 milligrams a day of Anovar. Now, huge fan of Anivar. When I run it, I run it solo, 50 milligrams a day. I'm looking for strength. One of the things that sometimes happens with competing bodybuilders when you're depleted with carbs, low body fat levels, uh, is that they can ease up. And this especially used to be true back in the day, Steve. Oh, I'm coming to a competition. I'll ease up on my training. In reality, as people like Dorian would say, that's when you want to keep training hard to keep the muscle you spend all year trying to gain that extra two, three pounds of new tissue. If you ease up, your body's not going to want to hold on to the new tissue. You're going to lose it. And a drug that's going to keep you strong but with half an eye on the, the, the risk of injury because, again, you're depleted, uh, low body fat levels, et cetera, et cetera, keep that muscle on the frame and keep you strong enough in the gym to keep the muscle on the frame above and beyond drugs. What about the next two or three there, Steve?
0: So, yeah, equipoise, Winstrol, bar. Um, these are all good ones you can really be uh, flexible with your diet on these they're good Um, a lot of bodybuilders uh, the ones that have passed away and we've seen their um, what steroids they were actually on a good amount of equipoise was always used so that's one of the reasons that it's in there at a high amount so we know these guys are using a lot one of the guys that we did we talked about his death. I can't remember um, which which guy it was. Uh, maybe it was Peterson, um, but he actually came in. I think it was like 2,000 equipoise a, a week was in his system when they uh, did him. So we don't know how much was in there before that. He could have been on even 3,000, uh, but like, wow, 2,000 a week of equipoise. But because it's a more mild steroids you, they really like to to jack that one up. And then the Winstroll, the Anavar, good for cutting, as Mobster mentioned. Um, They're really, really good for hardening, vascularity, and all that good stuff. Another one that they like, uh, HGH and insulin mix. Really, really important uh, to get that size. And also the insulin is thrown in there to help partition that food. So he was eating six meals a day to take advantage of those six meals a day. You want to be on that insulin to help partition it, but you also want to be in the insulin to offset the insulin resistance in the high uh, blood sugar that you'd be getting on HGH. So the insulin kind of is a really, really good way to, uh, to work with the HGH to really make the person huge in the process. DMP, something else that a lot of bodybuilders mess around with. Um, especially, you know, guys, uh, diet was kind of flexible. He, he likes to indulge in candy and in Italian food and pastas and stuff. Um, and then diuretics, of course, uh, they go into competition. They want to manipulate their diuretics. Very, very important for him. And also, um, in a video that he did, he also mentioned he was really, really much against testing athletes. He's like, Oh, it's personal responsibility, yada, yada, yada. So obviously, He's definitely doing a lot of steroids uh, to have that type of mentality where it's like, well, you know, if I want to kill myself, I'm going to kill myself. Another video, too, he said he was only on TRT currently, which is bullshit. I mean, TRT to him probably means like a gram of gear a week. Let's be honest. So um, that's bullshit. There's no way he looks the way he does today and he's just running 100 milligrams a week of testosterone. No, it's just not it's just not plausible, guys. So. You got to remember, um, TRT can mean a lot of things, (laughs) you know, so proper TRT is hundred milligrams a week of testosterone, but even now anti-aging clinics are putting people on 200, 300 milligrams a week of TRT. They're putting them on, on other steroids. They're putting them on peptides. They're putting them on AIs. They're putting them on ACG. They're putting them on so many different things. Even HGH at two, three IUs a day, they're putting them on anything to make a buck. So, um, you can really kind of, uh, you know, make up whatever TRT means in your mind, but really TRT, like I said, is hundred milligrams a week of testosterone. And that's definitely not what he's using. So mobster final thoughts. I think it's a disclaimer. I think it was a great show. And at the end of the day, you know, guy, look, I think he's a good guy. I really I do. So. But I think he, yeah. he does have like a little bit of a, of a machoism to him and, also, he has to get a kind of like a grip on who he is and his age. He's like I said, he's a millennial. So, I mean, you can't keep saying young people are idiots. These stupid kids these days, they're disrespectful. Come on, dude, like that. You're not a boomer here. You're not in your 60s. And, I don't you know, know. it's, it's something. Yeah. it doesn't make any sense. It doesn't make any sense to have that mentality. So but I think a lot of it is an act. Look, and it works for him. And I'm sure he's making six figures a year with all his um, repping and all this stuff now and good for him because bodybuilding, he spent years in the grind of bodybuilding and he didn't make shit, you know, as a bodybuilder, Um, you know, so I think, I think, uh, you know, good for him. Uh, um, I think he's a, I think he's a good guy overall for sure. Not a guy I would hang out with. <laughs> you know, he's not my style, I'll put it that way. But he um he does, I think he's a good guy. And a lot of people would probably get him. us into fights and shit, Steve. <laughs> he probably, yeah, he probably get me in in in, in jail. Save his ass or
1: something. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I've am gonna agree with Steve on my final thoughts. Yeah, I think there's a as I said during the podcast, there's an element of me that's entertained, and I like that level of intensity. I like if nothing else the way that he comes across in that passionate way. So supportive of his friends, loves training, loves chewing the fat with the guys on the podcast. That always comes across well. Whether it's an act or not, hard to say, really. I suspect, I think maybe it might be one of those things when he grows up. and and He's got some grey in his beard right now, but what do I mean? Your attitude changes as you get older, guys. The majority of people that come onto the forums, the majority of our listeners is going to be that youthful, 18 to 25, maybe 30-year-old profile I'm an old motherfucker. So what do I think? You know, I'm, I know for a fact that the way that I was responding to work, to, to education, to life, changes I got older. It's bound to. Changes I got bigger, changes I got stronger. So I suspect, as Steve said, there might be a commercial aspect to it. it, it listen, if I was putting out the kind of podcast and videos that he does and I see that the viewing figures are one, really, really good, and the other one not so good, what are they doing, the one that was good? Maybe that's because I come across in that, you know, that, that Italian macho vibe and that, and that works and that's what's create the six figures that we think he's on and I love the simple fact that Steve I think if he wasn't making a huge living from the sport actually competing he's making a better living doing what he does now so it's understandable but equally there should be half an eye on how you come across and I suspect that might be now especially as it gets a little bit older Steve a regret for how he responded uh, in that situation that we talked about earlier on as a bodybuilder as a, as a person now, I think he's he's, out there. he's becoming iconic in his own way. And I think he'd be good for a couple of nights, deep, but I wouldn't want him, as you say, on a regular basis. So I don't know if was shouting and living next door or whatever else and getting those kind of conversations. What do you think, guys? What's your views on the subject? By all means, please post in the comments and let us know on the forums. Please note, we are not doctors and opinions are ours. It is our view and based on our experience and views on the topic, a podcaster for informational purposes and entertainment only, the freedom of speech and the First Amendment